This is the Bat Pod. Grab your bat microphone, it's time to start the show. Like a quarter of owls, the mystery is starting to grow. Let there be no debate, it's about to begin. Keen like Bruce Wayne, quick like Tim Drake, fierce like Damien. Grab your headphones, listen up, you know you love it, drop the facade. Like the Dark Knight Detective, they've got some perspective, they're a pure crime fighting collective. It's the Bat Pod. Welcome to the Bat Pod. My name is Bill Beer, and joining me tonight, Jay Loving. Hello, sir. How's it going? It's going pretty well. All right, all right. If you're just joining us for the first time, here on the Bat Pod, we talk about the new releases of Batman and Detective, and we always pick one other book. And tonight, we pick Nightwing number 62. And of course, we have Batman 75, Detective Comics 1007, a topic of the week, and Stump the Co-Hosts. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's head to the books. The Bat Pod is a spoiler podcast. Please read the comics we're reviewing so you can enjoy the show. We are a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Our first book tonight is Batman number 75, City of Bane Part 1. Your writer is Tom King. Your artists are Tony Daniel and Mitch Gerards. Colors, Tamu Mori, Mitch Gerards. Letters, Clayton Cow. Cover, Daniel Mori. Variant cover, Gabrielle Del Otto. Associate editor, Rob Levin. Editor, Jamie S. Rich. And in this issue, the new Gotham has arrived. And in this Gotham, Joker and Riddler are part of the GCPD on a case to solve a murder. Bruce Wayne seeks help from the memory of the mountain. And Hugo Strange is the commissioner of Gotham City. The Batman in this new Gotham is Thomas Wayne. And we find out everybody loves Bane in this new Gotham. And Lex Luthor makes an appearance from the year of the villain tie-in. And he asks Bane what it is he wants. And Bane replies, all I want is Gotham. My first reading of this issue, I was really confused. I was confused because last issue we saw Han come out of the pit. We assumed it was Bruce Wayne. We thought Bruce was getting out. Read the story in 75, and I was confused a little bit about when this takes place. But after reading it again, it started to make a little more sense to me. I think it's a very solid issue. I mean... There are some parts and pieces that are missing. We don't know how Thomas... We don't know what happened in the pit. We don't know... Obviously, Bruce is still alive. Thomas Wayne is still alive. Nobody's stuck in the pit. Thomas seems to think that Bruce Wayne is broken. They have that conversation with Alfred because Alfred meets Thomas Wayne for dinner every night. And they have that conversation... And Alfred's like, yeah, when Bruce, I can't wait till Bruce gets back. And he says, I've broken him. He's not coming back. So I don't know what Thomas Wayne thinks if he left Bruce for dead or exactly what's what's going on with that. I don't know. I mean, we had speculated in talking about issue 74 that 
it may very well be Thomas who's climbing out of the pit. Yeah. Thinking that he's left Bruce for dead, but of course Bruce, always knowing you know his escape routine, has knows that there's another way out. Somehow in the intervening time, and this is sometime later because it says it on the first page. Later. later, yeah. So we don't know how long this is, whether it's a matter of weeks or months or even a year or more. But yeah, I mean, somehow they both got out of that pit. Yeah, as I said, there could have been you know tunnels or whatever that Batman knew about and, you know, you don't know if there was like a collapse or something. It could have been anything. So we're not given that information, but it does look like it's, to me, it's at least several months just because how everything is has moved forward. The commissioner isn't there. You know, he's got all, Bane has all these deputies policing Gotham. And, you know, there's even a billboard right. that has Gotham Girl on it. Yeah, I would think, it's, it's got to be some significant length of time that yeah. has passed. Yeah. And if you think about it, Bruce doesn't have anything with him. So it's going to take him time to get some. It's not like he has a cell phone on him. He just had his cow and pants. No, I'm not sure he did. It's very difficult to read this issue and not think of the movie The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that... I mean, the parallels are just way too extensive, and, you know, Bane is in control of the city. Now, he's not as, quite as visible as he was in the city, but, I mean, you know, criminals are running the infrastructure now, so it's, it's I don't think it's a, I wouldn't say he's, King is going off the back of that, but it's certainly a lot of similarities to it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. As I was reading through this, I was wondering, the Riddler and the Joker, like... <laughs> Why are they doing this willingly? Why are they getting along so well? And then you find out later that, you know, Psycho Pirate influenced them to love Bane, and they're going after the villains that haven't been influenced yet. Right. So that was a cool aspect. That makes perfect sense that we would use that in that way. The one question I have, do you think he did that to Thomas Wayne? Is that why Thomas Wayne has this loyalty to Bane that he uses? He brought him back and then used the Psycho Pirate on Thomas Wayne? It's very possible. I'm not ready to sit here and say conclusively, yes, I think he did, but it certainly looks out. You, I mean, you could. I won't be surprised if that turns out to be the case. Yeah, I was. I was curious about that. But on the other hand, I hope it isn't. I'm hoping there's Thomas's Thomas Wayne's role in this. Something that we're really Interesting that we're going to find out later on. And I heard you are going to hear his backstory, how he got to this time. So that'll be interesting. Yes. The other appearance that is made in this book is by Dr. X and Double X. Yes. Which, if you don't know or have seen those characters before, they first appeared in Detective Comic 261 from November 1958. And I actually read that again pretty recently, and it, you know, it's it's your Silver Age type of book, and it's pretty entertaining. And the double X actually was like an energy duplicate, and Batman made a duplicate also in that particular story. Yes. So, I mean, they didn't really do anything except they were murder victims. I don't know if they could be. It was just cool to see that throwback to those kind of stories. And maybe if you don't read those stories or haven't read stories, maybe you wouldn't get that as much. You would think, hey, this might be a new character or something like that. Well, they're dead now, so. Yes. <laughs> so the question I have, the one thing that bothered me in this book 
is. They mention Harvey Dent killed Double X here, Dr. Double X. And if we look, we might find his coin, and they find Two-Face's coin at the scene of the murder. Does Two-Face leave his coin behind? I don't know. It would be uncharacteristic. Yeah, I I didn't understand that. I wouldn't think he would, because he has his coin is how he makes all of his decisions. So I found that a little bit interesting. Yes, I mean I I kind of thought that too. It didn't cause me too much pause. Yeah, I, yeah. Did I I really enjoyed this issue? I'm liking where it's going. Yes, it's bizarre. It's totally off from what you were might thinking. But that's been what I've liked about all of Tom King's run. And this just is now making me even more annoyed that I've only got 10 issues left with King as the creator of Batman. I don't want to go off on no, <laughs> a personal, no. personal tirade. No, that's I mean, okay. Like, that's okay. It's just I really enjoyed this run, mostly because he has done so much different with the character. I and can taking understand it in that. places that he hasn't been in 80 years, which I think is what a lot of people don't like about it. So, I mean... It's all personal opinions about what you care for, what you don't like, but I'm I'm really enjoying this. I mean, I'm I'm all in on the, the next ten issues for sure. I mean, I'm I've read this run, and well, there's not much Batman I haven't read in the last thirty some years. So, but yeah, I feel more invested in the story than I had when the nightmares were going on because I was so confused about what was going on. Instead of focusing on Oh, does this make sense? Does that make sense? I'm sort of going with the flow. And at first, when I read this, I wasn't sure. I knew what was going on. But one question I do have for you is Bruce shows up and he seeks help from this memory of the mountain. Are you familiar with them? I remember the reference he made in Batman Annual Number 2. Yes. When he and the, when the elderly Bruce and the elderly Selena were talking, yes. they're, they're continuous argument about where they met. Was it on a boat or was it on the street? Right. And Bruce was saying in that issue that he was convinced his memory was correct because he studied with the memory of the mountain. Right. And kind of worked on his memory. Yes. The old guy would want him every so often to go to uh, get him a carton of cigarettes from town. And they said yes. it was like 100 miles away. And he didn't have any money or anything like that. If you haven't checked out that annual, it's a pretty pretty interesting story, I do have to say. I did I did like that one. It was. I thought it was a very good job. Yeah. So and Bane must they must know Bruce is still alive because Bane seems to have these locations of where Bruce might show up because they have, who was it, um, Magpie had two guys there at the Memory of the Mountain location. And that's who beat Bruce up, and they they say, well, Magpie say something to Bane. So Bane must be on the lookout for, if you're Bruce Wayne and you don't know, you don't have anything, who are you going to seek out? It It seems to me like he's... He's watching out for them. So Yeah, I think he does know that Bruce is still alive, and, and I believe he wants Bruce to remain oh, alive. Oh, yeah. Oh, because yeah. That, now, this is just, you know, now he can live out the rest of his life in despair, knowing that he's broken, and now he has to look at what's happened to his beloved Gotham that he has protected all these years. Certainly, you know, Thomas Wayne knows that Bruce is still alive, and if Thomas is under, the, under control by Bane, then, of course, he knows. Yeah, yeah. So, and then at the end here, we get our little cliffhanger with Catwoman finding Bruce, and yet again, they're arguing on uh, 
if it was on the street or it was on the boat. Right. And it, if, for people who may not have read a lot of, especially the Golden Age Batman. Yeah. We're talking about there are two meetings here, or both of them are correct. It depends on whether you want to go pre-crisis or post-crisis universe. So they're both correct. It's just it's and it's kind of almost a humorous exchange every time they have it because they're both convinced they're right, and of course they are both right. Yep, that's true. That'll be interesting, and and we do get that scene where Lex Luthor is actually a hologram shows up to Bane and he's been going around to all the villains. We get an art change on that particular piece. And I didn't think that was too distracting as far as that goes. I thought it flowed pretty well because it's dark and moody and they're in like, a, almost look like they're in, they're in Arkham. Right. Because you see Arkham and you see the glass like broken out of every cell. I have a question. Yeah. It's regarding Luthor. Do you think if there's somebody out there who's only reading a handful of books, Batman, Detective, maybe one or two others, and they're not really invested into this big multi-book story that they're doing now, Year of the Villain, when they see something like this with Luther, his hologram projection, are, the, are, are they going to be confused or not? I would say they're going to be confused because it doesn't look like Lex Luthor. Right. I mean, do you see his face at all? No, I think you just see him in a hood. So I'm from behind. Yeah. You're you're looking at Bane, so you're from behind looking behind Luther at Bane. That's kind of what I, I'm thinking that same thing, too. And it kind of... And you know in the other books, you know, it's like a page or two. This is multiple pages. It's like right. four or five pages, maybe even six pages, that they're talking back and forth. Now, some of the others might be a few panels or something, or it was anniversary issue, of course, but they extended the issue with the extra pages with Luther. Right. Which I don't think it furthers anything in the, the Bane story, just the only thing he wants is Gotham. That's that's what you get out of it. But, yeah, I don't I don't know if it, you'd probably be confused if you weren't invested in the Justice League and know what's going on there. This is what kind of puts me off about these things, these overriding stories that go over multiple books, is that they're really almost – they make you pre a person feel like they need to start reading all these tie-ins to get the story. Now, DC will come right in and say, no, 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 that's not the case. You can read each individual book, and they're all self-contained. Not really. No. Yeah, yeah. And it just – I don't know. I don't care like these – I really don't like this because I – I have my books that I want to read. I don't want to read everything that DC puts out. I just flat don't. Sometimes I feel like I'm being – when I see this, I feel like I'm being – trying to be pressured into reading stuff that I might not otherwise read. But I can understand that. Tony Daniel and the art in here is pretty fantastic. Yes, absolutely great. Was there uh, anything else you wanted to add about this issue? No, I think we've covered it. It's Like I say, it's a very winding – Longer than the one the previous issues have been, as far as pages of content. Yeah. But it's really setting up. I'm excited as hell to see what the rest of these, what the final nine issues are going to be. Let's go ahead and go to topic of the week. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Welcome to Topic of the Week, and this week our topic is our top three Batman Bat Suits. 
So since it's just me and you, Jay, you get to go first. What's your number three? My number three is, it goes by different names. They call it the Bronze Age sometimes, but it's the suit where they added the yellow oval, where Carmine Infantino and Julian Schwartz, as part of their remake over to try to get a sagging sales in Batman, they somewhat redid his uniform, put the yellow oval there. And then, of course, Jim Aparo came in and I think perfected it. That would be my number three. I have that on my list, too. So when I get to it, I'll I'll add a couple things to that. Uh, A few of the artists that I really enjoyed the the way they drew the the yellow oval, that signal uniform. So So my number three is actually the Hellbat suit that we first see in the Batman and Robin New 52 series. And it's his armored suit that was made so he can fight super-powered villains or heroes, and he actually took it to uh, fight Dark Side in that particular series. But one of the cool things the soup does is the, the, the cape, the armored cape, can turn into a pair of wings. Right. And they can change form and everything depending on the user. And the one time the cape got ripped off and thrown to the ground, and they turned into bats. And they returned to his suit to reform the cape. But that was kind of cool. That was during that whole, you know, bring Damien back to life take sort of thing. So, yeah, we haven't seen it a lot, actually. But what I have seen, I enjoyed. It was an an issue with Superman here. And uh, they used it in Detective Comics not too long ago. So, yeah, that's my number three. Very good. So you're number two. My number two was Dick Grayson's Batman costume in the pre-New 52 Batman and Robin. Oh, okay. You know, we go, we've got the black bat symbol on the gray yep. costume. And Frank quietly did most of the first oh, 15 or so issues. And the way he drew that costume, the boots that Dick wore looked like boots. You know, sometimes Batman's boots yes. seem kind of featureless, and but I mean, you know, they look like boots. You could see the buckles, you could see the details, and the utility belt was very. There was no pouches. It was very smooth. In fact, the belt buckle was in the shape of a bat. I just thought it was a really well done way. Quietly did that it was really appealing costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Quietly is uh, pretty awesome in his own right, but yeah, I I enjoyed that one too. I did like that one. I do, but I do like some of the the uniforms that have the pouches too. But that was oh, kind yeah. of sleek and slim. I mean, some of these things he pulls out of the utility belt, at least in the Silver Age, uh, he couldn't fit in that particular utility belt. But that's true. So my number two is the Batman Beyond costume, and we first saw it in the Batman Beyond TV series, and then. Uh, Batman Beyond in the comics and the suit is like a part of him because he his whole face is covered he has that red bat and I, I he can fly or sort of glide I really I really like how that suit is so much different than some of the other suits right I really enjoy the Batman Beyond so that's probably one of my favorite and it's sort of like a you know, it's high tech. It's not just a suit. The, the suit is like a character itself in that particular right. series. So he doesn't need a utility belt because the suit 
itself is an effect that you tell it about. You know, yeah. Whenever yeah. whenever he needs to be launched, little rockets will come out of the back of it, or you know, it'll form wings. It's it's yeah, very tr- high tech suit. That's a good one. I like that yeah. one as well. Yeah. Before we go on, did, did you consider the Azrael Asbats suit at all? No, I didn't. I didn't either. It's, I kind of yeah. liked it, but I didn't think it was a... You know, top. the one that I actually considered was the Zero Year suit. Ah. Because as you was talking, he has like these boots, real boots, and it's the picture I'm thinking of. He's sitting on the motorcycle. He has the purple gloves, which is a throwback to way back when, and the utility belt is a little bit different because he has like a rope, like a working on a farm rope on his belt, so... I did like the way that looked for that particular story. So what is your number one? My number one would be, it goes by different names, but most people refer to it as the Troika Batsuit. Following Nightfall, yeah, the, the solid black with a yellow oval. That looked damn good, I thought. And yeah. if part of the reason for the yellow oval was to give criminals a target to shoot at because he had, a, of course, Kevlar or something behind that. Right, they would yeah. see the yellow oval, and that's what they would aim for. That was kind of, sort of like the whole reasoning behind the yellow. Why would you put something bright like that on a dark suit? Yeah. But it really stood out on that suit. After and Kelly Jones did some of those. Yes. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. No, I remember the, the one suit with the yellow oval was the uh, Batman ink suit, but the oval actually lit up. Yes. Which was a little corny. I guess the same thing. Light up the light up the oval, and uh, villains will aim for the the oval type of thing. That suit had a lot of eccentricities to it. Uh, the whole, what looks like tubes or veins of something that ran along the sides of it, along with the oval that lights up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was different. Yeah. So, my number one was the yellow oval bat suit, and I'm gonna say, you know, the Neil Adams version. Which I I grew up in the yellow oval was always there into the late nineties early two thousands. Um, I like how uh, I believe with the Neil Adams they changed how the cape was and the cape actually connected with the cow a little bit and came down the front just a little bit. Yes. And as you said, the uh, uh, Norm Brayfogle and the Jim Aparo uh, did that really well. You know, his look with the cape, with the yellow oval. Because late 80s, early 90s, when I was really solidly reading every every issue. And that's my number one. That's what I really enjoyed. Very good. If anybody out there has any other favored bat suits that we didn't mention, tweet us. Let us know what they are or send us an email. Let us know that we're wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Ronnie's number one would be the Bat Bunny suit. The Bat Bunny suit. Yes. So Ronnie's <laughs> is the Bat Bunny suit. Yes. Since he's not here, we're going to just assume yeah, that Ronnie would be his and, one. and Martin, since he's not here, I'm going to pick the Bat Mite suit. I know he <laughs> loves that one. I know he loves that one. Indeed. So, yeah. Okay. So we'll head back to the books. Who is this guy? I'm Batman. 
You could be Batman. Sure. I'm Batman. See? I'm Batman. You sound like Cookie Monster. I'm Batman. That's Batman. I'm Batman. Listen, I'm Batman. Oof. You even sound like a bad guy. I swear, I am a good guy. Okay, Mr. Batman. 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 That's what I said, Batman. No, you're saying Batman. Uh, listen, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Nightwing number 62. Your writer is Dan Jurgens, And the artist is Ronan Cliquet. Colorist. Nick Filardi. Letter. And World Design. Cover. Renato and Filardi. Variant cover. Capullo and Placencia. Associate editor. Harvey Richards. Editor. Molly Mahan. And your group editor is Jimmy S. Rich. And coming into this issue, it's a real good jumping on point, and we see Dick Grayson and what he's been up to. Did I say Dick Grayson? I meant Rick Grayson. We see he's helping the Nightwings in Bloodhaven, but not in a Nightwing costume, a sort of not Nightwing costume. Because the Nightwings are police officers, firefighters who found the, all the old Nightwing costumes and are protecting Bloodhaven with the Nightwing costumes. And Rick Grayson has met a girl. You see, basically, if you haven't been caught up on the Rick Grayson stuff, this issue, at least at the beginning, really catches you up on everything that's been happening. And then we get a villain, a villain that we haven't seen in a little while. And it's Talon, William Cobb. And if you read it, New 52, you knew this is it's Dick Grayson's grandfather. And we get another appearance of Lex Luthor offering William Cobb. And he says, I can make Richard Grayson for the taking. Now, he must know Lex Luthor. You know, these secret identities, <laughs> you know, know, there's so many people that knows this or that. I don't know how... All the villains don't know who everybody is, just that sort of thing. So, yeah, this it's a setup issue. It's a good jumping on point. I know that the Rick Grayson thing has not been popular. A lot of people hate it, hate it with a passion. I'm one of the ones that have actually enjoyed the story. Yes, I want Dick Grayson back. I want Nightwing back. But I've kind of enjoyed the road so far. I'm not going to say it's the best thing I've ever read, but I've enjoyed it being a little bit different. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's kind of doing a little bit different take on it. I'm not exactly sure where they're going with this yet, but that's okay. I don't need to know. He's he's going to get his memories back. He's going to become Nightwing again. It's just what... I don't know how long this is going to go. I could see... Big Nightwing fans, this is going on for a year, I think, or close to it. Maybe it's been about nine, ten months. They might be starting to get frustrated because not much has really happened as far as Rick Grayson goes. I mean, he's become part of the Nightwing, but it, it's been kind of a slow process. Right. I don't know, but the William Cobb stuff and the Court of Owls stuff had always interested me when they were in the Nightwing books and they tried to recruit him because his grandfather is a Talon. So that has got me, this issue has got me more interested in 
the next issue than this particular issue. I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was anything out of this world, but it's interesting to see where the talent and the Court of Owls, I'd like to see them, use, I'd like to see another story with them because it's, it's been a little while where there was an actual story with where they were used. Right. As you said, I'm not sure what they're trying to do with this, why they felt, because the story's been going on for not that many issues, few, why they felt the need to sort of reset or retell the story. I'm wondering if I'm thinking people are jumping on because of this year of the villain, because this is one of the books that is a tie-in. So I don't, that's what the intention was or not. It's absolutely the intention, because if you're putting, you know, villain of the year on the book, and people, oh, I got to get that. They have this introduction and setup of what's been going on. So I think they did, the story was done on purpose and tease you with, you know, the ending there and Lex Luthor and what the talent is going to do. So I'm, I'm interested. I mean, it's not the first book I'm going to read when it comes out, but I'm interested. But yeah, we do want to see Dick Grayson come back. I wouldn't want it to be like two more years. That's way too long because if it was Bruce Wayne, I would have wanted him back quicker than that. So, right. So the art was okay in this issue. I'm not familiar with the artist, but it was satisfying. I didn't think it was any anything spectacular, but nothing you looked at it and thought ah, that does jarring. It's not. Well, I mean, right. maybe if you had a run of because they've been jumping back and forth with artists, if I recall correctly, on this book. So. Maybe if they had a run, it might grow on me a little bit, but it wasn't terrible. So do you want to add anything else about this particular book? Okay, we will head to Stump the Co-Host. It's time for the Batpod Stump the Co-Host segment. Welcome to Stump the Co-Host, and this week, Jay is the only co-host here, so he's... Ready to be stumped, is that right? I am. Okay. And we we always hear on Stump the Co-Host, we always have a topic, and that topic is the brave and the bold. And, of course, if you get both questions right, you will get the cash and prizes at the end. And you want those cash and prizes. I do. So, the first question. In the the, the original Brave and the Bold series... What issue does Batman make his first appearance as the lead on the title? Is it issue number one, issue number 32, issue number 59, or issue number 75? Gosh. I know you love these. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not issue number one. What were the others again? Repeat those. Uh, number 32, number 59, number 75. I'm going to say, was it 32? Is that what you said? 32? Yes. Or 59, 75. 32. That's what I'll say. 32. If you said 32, that was incorrect. It was actually number 59, and it was with Green Lantern, his first appearance, number 59. You were so close. So close. Well, I knew, I remember it being somewhere in that vicinity. I just, yeah. I knew it wasn't, the 70s wasn't, it was too late. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, your next question. You were a big a Brave and the Bold reader, or not so much? or um, I read it. I can say that it was one of my favorite uh -huh. series. A lot of people, it is a lot of people. I mean, Yeah. So our next question is, 
Batman actually stars with several of the Gotham rogues in the Brave and Bold series. I'm going to name four villains. Which villain did not show up with him in the Brave and the Bold? For example, there was always somebody else with Batman. It would be Batman and somebody. So, some of his villains was the co-star, you can say. So, which one of these is incorrect? Number one, Joker. Number two, Scarecrow. Number three, Riddler. Number four, Man Bat. Which one of these did not show up with Batman on the cover of the Brave and Bold series? <laughs> Boy, trying to think. Okay, read those again. Number one, the Joker. Two, Scarecrow. Three, Riddler. Four, Man Bat. I know he did Man Bad. I remember that. I'm pretty sure. Well, my first gut says he would never team up with Joker, which means he probably did. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I'm going to say. So it's not Man Bad. It's not Riddler. That's my quick guess. Riddler. If you said Riddler, you're incorrect. It was actually <sighs> Scarecrow didn't show up. The Joker actually showed up a few times. Yeah, I remember now. Maybe two or three. Yeah, and the Riddler and Batman show up. So, 0 for 2. So, you didn't win the cash and prizes. So, would you like to know what you would have won? Of course. I want to be able to sit here all night and feel bad for myself for not winning. <laughs> here you go. You have won an authentic replica of Batman's cow. Yes, you could wear this to parties, <laughs> anniversary dinners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you go to the mall, but I'm sorry, the only bad thing about this cow, I don't think it'll fit over your little hat. You might have to take that off that you always wear. Right, yeah. So, so, unfortunately, that's out. Or maybe you shouldn't show up at the bank either. You know, to probably not. Check, no. <laughs> yeah, have your cow on. That's probably a bad idea. Yeah, that was our topic of the week. Jay did not do so well. He actually did pretty bad, 0 for 2. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. You all knew it was going to happen. It's just, yeah. We will head back to the books. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol, as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. What symbol? Something elemental, something terrifying. And our final book tonight is Detective Comics 1007. Writer is Peter J. Tomasi. Artist, Kyle Hotz. David Barron did colors. Rob Lee, the letterer. Dave Wilgotts, assistant editor. Molly Mahan, editor. This was the second of a two-part story featuring The Spectre. And as this issue begins, we know that uh, Jimmy Corrigan had been abducted from the crime scene that was taking place in issue 1006. And we start off with, you can hear the members of this cult that have abducted him keep saying, the host must die, long live the host. And Corrigan is railing out, you know, where the hell are you, Spectre? Wait till he gets here. He, you know, you guys are going to be separated. Your heads will be separated from your shoulders. And they keep saying, no, once we get the Spectre separated from you, we will be able to control 
him for our purposes. So we finally get what the plot is with this cult, that they're wanting to destroy this link between Jimmy Corrigan and the Spectre so that they can then control him. The scene then shifts to the Batcave where Bruce is holographically recreating the crime scene and having the computer edit out, remove certain facets, all the you know, removes all the Gotham police officers, and then try to get down to the essential evidence. Well, the Spectre shows up in the Batcave in the form of he's kind of taken over the the giant robotic Tyrannosaurus Rex that's famously in the Batcave, and we start getting an exchange here. Uh, Bruce has not got his cowl on, and he reaches for his cowl, which the Spectre says, there's no need. I know who you are, Bruce. And Bruce says, well, why don't you show me your face, which he does. He reveals sort of a ghoulish-looking human person. And then he proceeds to let Bruce see through, see his history through Bruce's eyes. In other words, it's like Bruce is experiencing Jimmy Corrigan's story about how he was a young recruit into Gotham police and wanted to be the best cop he could and how he fought alongside many great police officers who fell until he got abducted. Actually, I made a mistake. It wasn't a Gotham police officer. He was a New York City police officer. So anyway, he got abducted by a group of villains who put his feet in concrete, threw him to the bottom of the lake where he started to drown, and he was railing out wanting a second chance. And somehow the spirits intervened and created this person who was as they said here in the text, he wasn't ready for heaven, but he's not deserving of hell. So sort of halfway between life and death, spirit that is the specter. That is part of, you know, he and Jimmy Corgan are part of each other. And how he be- went on this crusade now of against all murderers, to which he usually dispatches them pretty violently. Well, Bruce understands the story now, but he said, well, I'm going to find Jimmy. We're going to do this my way, and I don't want you doing no killing. Bruce goes through, finishes his analysis of the evidence. Get the They find a part of a finger that's mashed into a piece of fabric. They identify it as a guy named Rick Zoller, who they search for his associates and find out that he was associated with a guy named Nigel Walker, who back in issue two, 1006 – was part of that gang that Batman apprehended at the very first. They were on the rooftop of a bank building, and Batman beat all of them into pulps, and they were taken to jail. So it turns out that he's associated with this guy. So the Spectre and Batman go to the jail and start trying to interrogate Nigel Walker, looking for a third person named Ray Ambrose. Walker is reluctant to say anything at first until the Spectre sort of engulfs him in his ectoplasm, whatever he is, and shoves his head in the toilet, torments him until he's ready to confess and talk about who the, what his known whereabouts of Ray Ambrose. They go to Ray Ambrose's apartment, don't find anything there except Bruce finds a boot with a sliver of wood embedded in the heel. Computer analysis reveals that it was from the year circa 1813. Bruce immediately remembers that there's an old church that was built in 1813, they go there and they find the cult that has abducted Jimmy Corrigan, and they're going through some sort of a ritual that they're tr- you're trying to use to separate Corrigan from the specter. An extended fight, a fire is started, the building starts to collapse. They free Corrigan. Before the building collapsed, 
the specter, you see a giant hand push Bruce and Corrigan out of the fire, out of the church. Specter has fulfilled his promise. He hasn't killed anybody. Corrigan has been rescued, and Batman tells him, I cannot have you operating in Gotham, Corrigan. You and the Specter, I, I can't have you doing this. To which Corrigan says, I've been put in for a transfer back to New York City. It should be coming through any day. And that's where the story ends. I really enjoyed this story. I liked the fact that it was only a two-parter. It kind of harkens back to a lot of the Bronze Age books that were often just one or two parts. And I like that. I'm not always need a an extended story. I know that kind of goes against the current thinking of publishers because four or five issue arcs are perfect for trade paperbacks. And I think that drives a lot of the storytelling in comics now. It's like, well, we've got to have at least four or five arc stories in this arc so it'll make a decent-sized trade. So I was pleased to see a shorter story like this. And it was good to see the Spectre back because it's been a character who's been part of the Batman lore for decades. I thought it was a well-done story. Again, not too extensive because of its brevity. The thing that really stood out on this issue is the artwork. I love this artwork. This artist, Kyle Hotz, I'm not familiar with. No, I'm not familiar with him either. But as far as I'm concerned, he can stay on Detective Comics for the as long as he wants. Oh, yeah. I'm, he looks similar to Kelly Jones in some panels. Oh, exactly. Especially the ones yeah. with Bruce, where you oh, see the yeah. muscles. Kelly Jones did that. He, every damn muscle was exaggerated almost to the point of being ludicrous. And it looked like, you mean, it almost looks like tumors all over his body. But that is very reminiscent of Kelly Jones, as well as the way he does faces. All the faces in this are half in shadow. I mean, you're just big shadows across the face that makes it look, but it really fits in with the story. This is a kind of a macabre, otherworldly story, and the art is macabre as well. It fits perfectly on this, absolutely perfectly. So to me, that was the you know the thing that really stood out on this issue is the quality of the artwork. I'm like I said, I'm really impressed with this this artist. So the one thing I have to ask, are you familiar with how the Spectre origin is? Was it was they were they kind of spot on the way, or you're not too familiar with it? There are gaps. This is one. It's kind of like a lot of things. If you go over the years from Gold and the Silver Age. They're kind of a couple of different iterations of the Spectre. I believe this is in line with the original as either late Golden Age, early Silver Age Spectre. Oh, okay. But there are there are other interpretations of the character. I know. I don't know. Martin, if he were here, could tell us, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that flashback where he uses, like, goes into Bruce and kind of uses gives him a memory of how this is happening. And you see Bruce in Jim Corrigan's looking through Jim Corrigan's eyes and you see Batman in the panel or Jim Corrigan should be. So I felt that was pretty interesting. I liked how they did that. Yeah, that was a good, there was a two page panorama near the center of the book where it's kind of giving him the story and you see this from all different aspects. And yeah, I thought it was well done. Well done. Yep. Then he has that little device, whatever it was, if it's in his utility belt or whatever, that could identify the year of the piece of wood in the shoe. <laughs> yeah, I think it tied back probably to the computer in the Batcave. Yeah, which 
Which it sort of reminds me, you know, of the Tony Stark computer from the Avengers movies. And right. he's like moving things around with his hand. It's that sort of thing. Exactly. I think we might have seen something similar to that in like Scott Snyder's run, but uh, I can't remember exactly. But I did like that. And they even managed to get a little bit of humor in here. Oh, yeah. The one thing that kind of made me chuckle was after the spirit, I don't know, the specter had taken up, sort of engulfed Nigel Walker and tormented him, shoved his head in the toilet until he agreed to talk. He was, Batman looked at him and goes, well, there's the first of everything. There's the first for everything. Specter says, what are you talking about? I never thought I would play the good cop. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the Specter, that's a character that we haven't got a book for a long time. Yeah, I would love to see more of it. Yeah. It's a good story as far as you've got the two aspects. You've got the Specter and you got Jimmy Corgan, the sort of, you know, the yin and yang. So you could have this character. You might want to, you know, the, the surface story would be about Jimmy Corrigan, but of course it'd be, it would be the Specter would be the true story. That'd be interesting. That would be interesting. That was the, I read like the 90s Specter series. I did enjoy that one. I guess it was early 90s, maybe late 80s, taken off the top of my head. Definitely was interesting, and I wasn't expecting this to be a two-parter. I thought this was at least a four-parter or something like that. It needs more of these. I anticipated it would be a multi, more about four parts just because that's the way they do now. But yeah. I wasn't dissatisfied when it came to an end. I thought, well, you know, this is probably couldn't have gone much longer than that. And like I said, just from a nostalgia aspect it was nice to see some of these shorter stories that you get especially out in the bronze age a lot of you know one yeah or two issues two issue stories yeah and a lot of times when you get a one issue story it's like a fill-in and right a lot of times it's almost like a throwaway because i know when paul dini came on detective he did a lot of one and dones that were pretty good i think he did a bunch of one and dones Anything you want to add about this particular book? No. Other than DC, keep Kyle Hotz on as an artist. Oh, yes. Yes, that would be awesome. Yeah, great talent. So, yeah, that was our show tonight. We had uh, some pretty good books, some okay books. People that have liked Nightwing has been few and far between, but it was interesting. So, So, anything you want to add? No. I thought some good books this week. I'm anticipating, especially where Batman's going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that should be interesting. That's like one of those that I have to read right away because I really want to know what's going on, how he gets out of this predicament, I would assume, because it's mentioned that, you know, all of Batman's friends are outside the city and they wouldn't dare come in because Alfred would get hurt if they did, so... Right. I assume it's going to be a team-up, but you never know. It would be interesting. Oh, and the other thing I forgot to mention, is that Scarface talking there? Because the ventriloquist takes over the Alfred role, and somebody is talking to him. Yeah, that's Scarface, when he's yeah, sitting yeah. down saying, yeah. you know, yeah. hey, if yeah. it were me, I'd have this city. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's... yeah. Yeah, he has to come back. I w- that's the one thing I really want to see, so... We'll go ahead and wrap it up here. We are on Twitter. It's at 
bat underscore pod. We do have a email. It's batpodpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in two weeks. Until next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. We'll see you later.